Father, as we come to your word tonight, we come needing to be stretched, we come needing to be challenged and taught, and yet we also come needing to be soothed. God, all of us, perhaps today, perhaps in the last week, perhaps stretching long back into our past, have irritation in our soul that we need you to soothe tonight with the balm of your word. We need to be given hope. We need to be given courage. We need to have our hearts and our minds squared up with what your word says to us so that we might walk in faith. And so we pray that you would do these things for us now in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening we are focusing our attention on just one verse. Romans 8.28. It's a text of scripture that has become one of the most often quoted and memorized and I hope relied upon promises in the life of our church. And I'd like to read it to you now. Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. I almost feel like Romans 8.28 really needs no introduction for us. So many of you know the verse so well. And not a few of you have lived through days or weeks or weekends where this verse and others like it were really all you had to cling to. So not only do most of you know Romans 8.28, but you have lived through Romans 8.28. And even if you're unfamiliar with it tonight, or if it's just somewhat familiar tonight, I still think Romans 8.28 really needs no introduction. For when you just read the plain words on the page, they are so clear in their presentation, they are so breathtaking and almost unbelievable in their application to us, that I think any ears who actually listen to these verses for just half a second will have to perk up and hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Does the Bible really say that God works all things, all things for good? The collapsing of a school in Haiti is going to turn somehow for the good of God's people? The loss of 8,000 jobs in Wilmington is going to somehow work for good. Children with profound disabilities can produce some kind of pleasant results. The death of a, death of a spouse could be for our good. Is this what the Bible really teaches? And if so, how can it be? You see what I mean? If we just stop and listen to what the verse says... We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purposes. If we just listen to what it says, we are forced to pay attention. Given the amount of tragedy that exists in the world and given the tall claims that this verse makes, anyone, anyone who actually hears what it says should be at least interested in a verse like this. Even if... Someone refuses to believe what Paul is saying. They will be forced to ask, how can anyone say such a thing? All things for good? How can anyone say that? And how could anyone be suckered into believing this kind of pie-in-the-sky escapism? 
So anyone who has any sense of feeling or emotion about the world at all either has to be rejoicing in Romans 28 and testifying to its truthfulness or they have to be dumbfounded that the Bible could actually say something so, quote, preposterous or insensitive and that Christians could be sheep enough actually to believe it. Romans 8.28 is a verse that must be paid attention to. But let me say that Romans 8.28, if a person listens to it, but refuses to believe in the reality of either the reality of God or the power of God or the wisdom of God or the goodness of God, if anyone listens to this verse but discounts any of those truths, this verse really would be, in that person's mind, one of the most insensitive things that you could ever say. How could you say that the death of my child is going to turn out somehow for good? What a tactless, thoughtless, unfeeling thing to say to a grieving parent. That's the thought process of an unbeliever. And that's what makes this verse not only the most, one of the most soothing verses in the Bible, but also one of the most countercultural. If someone actually hears it, it will provoke immediate interest, no matter which direction the person is coming from. And I would suggest to you, therefore, that you not only use this verse in comforting yourself and your fellow believers, but that you might use it in evangelism. That you might mention Romans 8.28 in conversation sometime with a friend. Do it tactfully. Do it in the gentle and consoling spirit in which Paul wrote it. But ask your unbelieving friends. You know, the Bible says that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purposes. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? How does it relate to these jobs in Wilmington? How does it relate to the struggles that I may be going through, that you may be going through? And the person may argue with you, or they may scoff at you, or they may become emotional with you or upset with you. But in some form or fashion, you will have gotten their attention. You will have made them think. And then hopefully you will have and take the opportunity to speak to them not only about the goodness and the wisdom of God, and not only about the fact that they need a Heavenly Father who promises things like this, but you also have the opportunity to speak to them of the cross of Christ as the ultimate example of how God works even the most horrific things like the death of His only begotten Son for good, for the salvation of sinners. Before we begin, though, using this verse as a comfort to one another or to evangelize our friends, we need to understand very clearly what it means. A misquoted or a misunderstood or a misapplied Bible verse can be very dangerous, particularly when it makes such large claims as this one. So we need to take a close look tonight at what this verse actually says and what it doesn't say. And the first thing that we need to do is ask a simple question. To whom does Romans 8.28 apply? God works all things together for good. To whom? Who does this apply to? Well, Paul tells us God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. So it's, it's a broad promise in the sense of all things, but it's a narrow promise in the sense of whom it applies to. 
we often hear it quoted as though the verse simply ended with the word good. Well, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Well, the verse doesn't actually end there. It goes on to remind us that God causes all things to work together for good to a certain group of people, namely those who believe on Jesus, those who love God and are called according to his purpose. In other words, if God has not called you to himself, if you have not come to Christ in faith, if you do not therefore love God, this verse does not apply to you. God may work your cancer for the good of your Christian friend or parent, but if you refuse to believe in Christ and to love God, then your cancer is doing nothing for you except hastening toward a final day of judgment. But if you've been called by God, if you're his child by faith in Jesus, if you therefore love him, then your cancer or your arthritis or your financial difficulty or your family pain may have all kinds of wise and loving purposes behind it. That's what Paul is saying. Perhaps it would be that God is deepening your faith through the difficulty that you face. That is, perhaps God has made you feel like you're simply going to die, either emotionally or physically, so that, 2 Corinthians 1.9, you will not trust in yourself, but in the God who raises the dead. You ever think about that when you just feel like emotionally you're going to die, or you can't go on, or when you are faced with the possibility physically that you might die? I hope you remember that God puts the sentence of death in us, Paul says, so that we won't trust ourselves, but the God who raises the dead. Perhaps that's what God's doing. Or perhaps for someone it's that they're not yet a believer, but God is calling them to be one. And perhaps God is going to use their cancer or their loss of a job to bring them face to face with their needs so that they might turn to the Lord, our provider. I don't doubt for some of you that's exactly how your testimony goes. God used something that at the time didn't seem all that good Maybe it was a wayward child. Maybe it was the death of a loved one. Maybe it was a war. Whatever it was, God used something that didn't seem good at the time, may not have been good by itself, but God used that as part of his larger plan to call you to Christ Jesus, to bring you to love him. And if you love him, if you are called according to his purposes, there's no telling what good God will do for you through your darkest moments. Nor is there any telling what God may do through you in your darkest moments. Perhaps God will use your suffering to get you into the right hospital at the right time to share the gospel with that doctor or that nurse's assistant. Perhaps God will use your funeral to speak to your son or daughter who wouldn't listen to you while you were alive, but now they will listen to your testimony as you lay in the grave and they will finally come to God and make your God their own God. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And just for a moment, let me say that perhaps one of the all things tonight might be this sermon. It's possible that someone's here tonight and and you're not a believer. Maybe you thought you're a believer and you're not. Maybe you know you're not a believer. Maybe you're a child and you're not yet a believer. And perhaps here tonight, you're saying to yourself, well, this is a wonderful promise, but he's telling me this doesn't apply to me. 
doesn't apply to me. I know I don't love God. I mean, I pretend I do, but I know I don't love God, and so this promise isn't for me. But I want to tell you tonight that this promise could be for you. If you're here and you're saying, I don't love God, I don't know that I'm called according to His purpose, you could be. You could have a Heavenly Father who promises you these kinds of things. You could have the promise of all things working together for your good if you would repent of your sins and entrust yourself to Jesus, the Son of God. Then you would enter into all the benefits of this promise and so many others. So maybe tonight is the night for someone to decide for Jesus. Maybe it's the night, and Romans 8.28 is the verse that God might use to bring someone finally to the one who laid down his life so that he would have nothing but good to offer us. So then the blessing of all things for good is guaranteed to believers only. Perhaps it will make a believer out of someone tonight. But once we've settled that question, for whom does this verse apply, then we have to ask the next question, which is, what does this verse actually say? What does it promise? As I said, misunderstanding this verse or any Bible verse, but particularly one that makes such large claims, misunderstanding it could be disappointing, it could be discouraging, it could be dangerous could be potentially devastating for you or for someone else that you speak to. So we need to understand this verse well. And as I studied it this week, it seemed to me that the best way to get at what this verse is really saying and what it's not saying is to read it several times through. And each time we read it to emphasize a different word or words. All of these words are so important. So understanding from the latter half of the verse for whom the promise is intended, we're going to now focus our attention on the first half of the verse, on the promise itself. We're going to read it several times over, and each time we read it, we're going to notice some different things, some different nuances. So let's begin. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. Everything will work out fine, says your optimistic neighbor the night before he's going in for surgery. Or if he's younger than that or of a more recent vintage, perhaps he'll tell you it's all good. Everything's going to work out just the way it always does. And you hope that it will. You admire his optimism, in fact. But I hope that you realize that saying everything's going to be okay is quite a bit different than saying God causes all things to work together for good. For your neighbor may believe that all is going to be well simply because it always has been before or because he's in the hands of the finest doctors or simply because he's an optimist. But what happens to your neighbor the next afternoon, what happens to his confidence when he wakes up in the recovery room and the doctor comes in to visit him and says, listen, the cancer was much more widespread than we thought. There's actually nothing that we can do. What happens to him then? when all he's relied upon is optimism or precedent or percentage. See, Romans 8.28 doesn't simply offer us optimism. It does offer that, but more than that, this is not a verse that says, well, things usually work out, and so you can pretty much bank that they will this time as well. That's not what this verse says. This verse actually says, even if things don't work out the way they normally do, even if things don't work out the way you think they should, there's still hope. Because your circumstances are not being controlled by good luck, but by God. 
They're not being controlled by happenstance, but by heaven. So even if God does have good plans for your neighbor, he won't know it. And he will therefore have no place to put his hope unless he knows that it is God and not the winds of fortune that are working things out for good. The verse doesn't say all things work together for good. It says God causes all things to work together for good. Therefore, our hopes do not lie ultimately in the percentages or in the precedents, but in the kindness and wisdom and mercy of God. Now read the verse again with me, the first half of it. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. When I was a boy, I went to one of those quote-unquote art exhibits, maybe you've been to one, where they take a bunch of pieces of trash and they make them into art. So maybe you have a rooster that's made out of Coke and Sprite cans, or maybe you have a mosaic picture of the Queen of England that's made out of uh, sliced up pieces of cardboard from the outside of a cereal box or something like that. All kinds of crazy things, and we could debate whether or not that's really art at a later time. But there's no doubting when you go and see that stuff that those people are great improvisers. They're great at taking junk and making it into jewels, trash into treasure. And sometimes that's how we view God. We say, well, God is a wonderful improviser. He is a great fixer-upper, the great fixer-upper in the sky, in fact. And so he comes along and he finds our lives sort of crumpled up in the corner. And he looks and he says, wow, this is a bad situation. But he steps into our lives and he picks up the crumpled piece of paper and he makes the best out of a difficult spot. He improvises. He turns everything for good. So maybe the tree branch falls on your roof during the windstorm. And you say, this is a bad event. But the next morning, you're out cleaning the debris up and your neighbor comes over to help you and you begin to talk and eventually you get to talk to him about the Lord and and you think to yourself, maybe he'll even come to church with me. And maybe he'll eventually commit his life to Christ. And if that happens, then you will agree and he will agree, well, this this is great. Everything turned out for good. But the question is, did the tree just sort of fall on the house out of happenstance so that God, opportunist that he is, was able to sort of swoop in and impact your neighbor? Or was it that God actually caused the wind that knocked down the tree? And was it that God controlled which direction the wind was blowing? And was it that God for 20 years had been shaping the curve of the tree branches so that when the wind blew, the tree would lean and fall exactly where it needed to, namely onto your roof? And was it God that caused that neighbor to move in across the street in the first place? Did God just walk down the street one day and find a mess and decide that he would turn an unexpected windstorm into something good? Or did God cause the windstorm and all the details of its fallout so that the events would conspire to work for you and your neighbor's good? Was God in control of the windstorm, permitting it, designing it, harnessing it for you and your neighbor's good? Or is God just a really good 
improviser. I think Romans 8.28, along with the rest of the scriptures, teaches the former. God's not an opportunist. He is a very careful planner. God is not in your life to improvise. He is in your life as a meticulous design engineer. God causes all things to work together for good. In other words, no circumstance in your life ever catches God off guard, ever forces God to rework his plans, or ever forces God to adjust his timetable. He has a detailed blueprint of your life into which he himself has sketched in all the necessary falling trees and heart attacks and financial setbacks. Those things that happen in your life are not hiccups that God has to come along and smooth out. They are part of the original blueprint. God doesn't turn difficult things for good. God works difficult things for good. God causes difficult things for good. God plans difficult things for good in your life. We see this in the account of Joseph in the end of Genesis, don't we? After his brothers had sold him into slavery and unwittingly placed him in a position to be governor of all Egypt, after all of their ill will had worked in his favor and in theirs, what did Joseph say in Genesis 50:20? He didn't say, "Well, you meant evil against me, but God turned it into good." He didn't picture God kind of walking along in Egypt one day and saying, "Oh, you're here. How did that happen? Let me fix this. We'll work this all out, and it'll actually be better than ever it was before. Beautiful. No, God is not a fixer-upper. And Joseph understood that. And so he said to his brothers quite profoundly, "Not God turned it for good, but he said, "You meant it for evil." But God meant it for good. And when your car breaks down or your computer crashes or you end up in the hospital or when the tree falls on your house or when the tree falls on your child, it will not be by accident. God, for some good reason, will have meant it, planned it, timed it, permitted it for your good. God will not be with you by the side of the road or by the side of the hospital bed, or by the side of a casket, improvising. He will not be there trying to figure out how he's going to make the most of this bad situation. He will be there as a wise, loving, sovereign of the universe who was not only powerful enough to send the storm or to stop the storm, but powerful enough to send the storm at the right time and cause the winds to blow in the right direction exactly for your Good. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. Read it again. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. God causes all things to work together for good. These are the two words in the sentence that will most flabbergast your friends. In fact, they may say to you, okay, so maybe there is a God who allowed the tree to fall on your house for some good reason. I'll give you that. But tell me this, what if the tree had fallen on your house and killed your baby? Are you trying to tell me that you believe that God would have caused that too and that something good can come out of a dead baby? Because that's what it seems the verse is saying when it uses blanket phrases like all things. Is that what you're saying, Christian? What are you going to say in a moment like that? I hope what you say is yes. All things includes dead babies 
and all things includes my dead baby. I don't know why God allowed this. I have no idea why God would take her from me. I don't know how this possibly could be for our good, but it is. Whether I understand it or not, even this is for my good. I hope you could say that, and I hope I could say that when the time comes. I hope I would be able to say that even if the thing that God was causing to work together for my good was not an act of nature, but an act of sin. What if it wasn't a tree branch falling on the baby, but a kidnapper? Or what if someone walked into this room tonight and began firing shots at us? I hope, horrific and sinful as those acts would be, that we would have our heads on square enough to say with Joseph, they meant it for evil against me. But God means it for good. A few moments ago, I called those words of Joseph profound. And let me tell you why I say they're profound. Genesis 50, 20, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, is profound because that verse teaches us that God is complex enough to permit sin without being sinful. God is complex enough, in fact, according to Genesis 50, 20, to mean something sinful to happen and yet not be sinning as He does it. God is complex enough to mean for something sinful to happen and yet not be sinning as He does it. That's what happens in the story, isn't it? God meant something to happen. What was it? That Joseph's brothers would sell him into slavery. Was that sinful? Absolutely. But only from his brother's side of the equation. Their act was sinful because their intentions were sinful. They meant it for evil. And even if they hadn't meant it for evil, humans are not wise enough and aren't given the prerogative to do evil so that good may come, Paul says in Romans 3.8. But God is not like us. God is wiser than us and God is God. And God, the Bible says, meant for Joseph to go into slavery. He meant for his brothers to do that to him. But for God it wasn't sin. Why? Because God's intentions and God's power is different than that of Joseph's brothers. God meant it for good and God worked it for good. And since God's intentions and God's outcomes are always good, He can permit, He can even mean for sin to happen and not be sinful himself. So therefore, all things means all things, even sinful things. And I pray when you are tested that God will give you strength to believe that. Whether the test is small or great, whether somebody calls you a name or whether somebody kills your wife, I pray that you'll believe what Romans 8:28 says and I pray that if you've already been tested and all of us in small ways and some of us in large ways have I pray that if you've already been tested whether or not to believe that all things even mean sinful things that God will tonight give you the strength to look back down the corridors corridors of your life and believe this verse over whatever it was that happened that even when that terrible thing happened to you that someone clearly meant for evil, that that did not for one moment interrupt God's wise and loving plan for your life. 
God was not asleep at the wheel that day or that year or that decade. He cared as much for you then as He does now in the healing process. And He may never make sense of it for you until you get to heaven, but Romans 8.28 says that God had your best interest in mind even in that very moment when it was happening, the same as He does tonight, the same as He does when life seems at its best. Someone meant it for evil, but a loving Heavenly Father meant it and will use it for your eternal good. Again, we know God causes all things to work together for good. God causes all things to work together for good. The word together is an immensely important word. It's not just a throw in. The word together reminds us that it is not the tree falling on the child that is the good event. But it is the outcome that God will work when that event is combined together with all sorts of other providences and mercies. Did you hear that? It's not the tree falling that's good. It is not the man sexually abusing his co-worker that's good. It is not the collapsed school building that is good. There are bad events in the world. There are actually downright sinful and evil events in the world. The bad events are the result of the effects of original sin. The evil events are the results of people actually sinning against God and their neighbor. God is not trying to convince us in this verse that all things are good. Rather, what God is telling us with the word together is that though some events are perfectly horrible and should be described as such, when those events and all the fallout from them is mixed together with all the other providences and mercies of God, the final outcome in your life will be good. Bad things, in other words, don't happen in a vacuum. If they did, Romans 8.28 would fall on its face. We couldn't use the word together. And if we, if we isolate a single event from all the other things that God is doing in our lives and in the world, there's usually no immediate good that comes, for instance, from a man being killed by a drunk driver. In the immediacy of that moment, one man is dead, another man is going to spend his life in prison, a wife is without a husband, children are without a father, a mother and father are without their son. And none of that is good in and of itself. And if that were all there was to the story, we wouldn't have Romans 8.28. But the single event, the car crash, is not the end of the story. What is good about an incident like that is not the incident by itself but how God is going to use that bad event and mix it together, fit it together with a thousand other puzzle pieces in your life to make a beautiful picture out of the whole. So Romans 8.28 is not a verse so much about isolated events. It's a verse about how isolated and often terrible events fit into God's overarching good plan for our lives. Romans 8.28 doesn't guarantee that every single thing that happens to us will in and of itself be good, but it does teach that everything that happens to us is part of a larger, good, divine plan into which every puzzle piece, both the good ones and the bad ones, plays a part in God's final promise to prosper us and not to harm us. Not all things are good, but all things by God's grace work for good. The event may not be good, but the outcome will be.
Read the verse again. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. He causes all things to work together for good. We don't have time to dwell long here, but let me simply say this. What God deems to be good for you may not be identical with what you deem to be good for yourself, right? What God thinks is good for you may not be three meals a day. It may not be good health insurance. It may not be good health. It may not be long life. It may not be children. It may not be a perfect marriage or marriage at all. It may not be safety. Or it may just not be any of those things right now. So don't misunderstand this verse and don't misapply it to others. Don't color in between the lines of Romans 8.28 with the red, white, and blue of the American dream. That may not be what God has planned for you, and that's not what he's promising in this verse. The word good in Romans 8.28 has much more to do with your soul than with your body. It has much more to do with your home in heaven than your house on the earth. Much more to do with your spiritual well-being than your physical health. And much more to do with God's glory than with your own dreams. So you may not get what you want, but you will certainly have what is good. Be content with that. Be content with the hand that God deals you. Don't murmur about your trials. And when you get to heaven, you will thank God for Romans 8.28. You will thank God, I believe, specifically for the fact that God did not allow you to be the one to decide what the word good means. You will thank God for that, and so will I. Read the verse one final time with me. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Stop and think for a minute. What is it that you are struggling with or worrying about or grieving over or fretting for right now? What is it perhaps from the past that Romans 8.28 has seemed to dig up in your memory tonight. I hope that with whatever the particular struggle is in your mind, you can say with Paul, I know that God is working that for my good. How do we know? How can we be sure? Well, for some of us, we know because we've already lived long enough. We've already walked God walked with God long enough to have seen firsthand that this verse is true. We've seen God take fears and use them to draw us to Himself. We've seen God take heartaches and use them to bring perhaps the family closer together around God's Word. We've seen God use times of difficulty to remind us that this world isn't our home. Some of you have seen God use great pain and trial to remind you how special it is to have this family called the church. We've seen God restore us and even mature us and grow us through our greatest stumbles into sin. And the list could go on and on and on. When you've walked as a child of God through the valley of the shadow of death, there is no doubt that all things for good is true. What if you're still young? Or what if you're a new Christian and you haven't walked very far into the valley or you haven't gone into any very steep valleys yet can you still say i know 
that God causes all things to work together for good. Can you say that if you haven't experienced it on a large scale yet? Absolutely. You don't have to have deeply experienced it yet to know that all things together for good is true. It's right here on the pages of Scripture, isn't it? So whether you feel like you've experienced it or not, we know. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. It's in the Bible. That's important to remember. Because whether you're a seasoned Christian or not, when you are in the midst of the valley, you won't always feel like God is working that for your good. On the backside of the trials, you will look back and it may be much more plain. But in the darkness of the valley, it's hard to see what God is doing. So you have to know that God causes all things to work together for good, not simply by sight, but also by faith in the Scriptures. When experience seems to give you no evidence, you need to know that God causes all things to work together for good simply because He's made a promise and because you know that God always keeps His promises. Finally, even more importantly, how do we know that God causes all things to work together for good? Well, just come with me in your mind's eye just for a moment to the cross. Here is the farthest extreme to which the words all things can be pushed. Nothing could be more dreadful, nothing could be more awful than the Son of God being spit upon and beaten with rods and mocked and lashed with bone-tipped cords until his back looked like ground meat. Nothing pushes the idea of all things to its limit like the Son of God being thrown on the ground and tied to a giant stake and then nailed in place there for good measure. So you tell me, does God really work all things together for the good of His people? Isn't our whole life bound up in those cords with which Jesus was whipped? Doesn't our eternal destiny hang on those nails? Doesn't all that is ultimately good depend upon and flow from the evil that happened to the Son of God? No matter what you experience in this world, no matter how far the words, all things may stretch you, you will never suffer like Jesus suffered. You will never be treated so brutally and unjustly as he was. So if you're ever tempted to doubt whether this event or that really has some good purpose, walk again around the hill called Calvary. Search the wounds. See your life, your forgiveness, your heaven, your relationship with the Heavenly Father all flowing to you in the blood of Jesus. And as you look on Jesus with faith, you will be able to say with certainty, I know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose.